0: Now, oh my goodness, I'm excited for, for this. We, we were talking about, we're really excited for a couple of weeks when the Harkies come here. We're just about to have an incredible, incredible, powerful, amazing blessing here just in a few moments. The first thing I want to do is ask, everyone remembers Dina Shoemaker? Our conference speaker here. We've heard her speak, we've experienced her ministry, we've purchased her books. Uh, amazing, amazing woman of God. Well, she's interning. She's getting ready to go to Brazil to intern with this couple that's going to be coming up here. And I think I've probably said enough. I just want to turn it over to Dina now. Thank you. <laughs> I just want to introduce to you um, this couple means a lot to me, and I've come to dearly love them. Um, sh- sh- William is about to come up and speak, and he is an international speaker with Global Awakening under Dr. Randy Clark's ministry. And he, not only that, he's a man that I have seen who eats, sleeps, and breathes the Word of God. And so you can trust that he is somebody who is going to bring to you a word today that's direct from him. I asked him on the way over here what he was going to preach on. And he said, I opened my mouth. <laughs> yeah. And I love his wife. She's the one who prayed the prayer that brought my healing. Yeah. So, would you just welcome William Wood at this time? Oh. Thank you. That's okay. Oh, yeah. Let's give Jesus some praise. Don't sit down yet. Come on, let's give Jesus praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus. Oh. Woo. Wow. Well, thank you for that introduction, Dina. I'll pay you for that later. <laughs> now, Dina is an amazing minister in her own right. How many of you have realized that and experienced that? She is someone that carries a a miracle anointing, and I see a lot of creative miracles that happen with her. And so when she travels with my wife and I, (laughs) I kind of send people to her for prayer instead of myself because, you know, when I pray for people, they get sick. When She prays for them, they get healed. I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But it is an honor, it's a privilege to be here. Obviously, you can tell by my accent, I am from the country of Alabama. And yes, it's its own country. (laughs) If you ever go visit there, you understand what I mean. I know I'm in Boise State territory, but I have to say, roll tide before, you know. I saw one of your worship leaders up here wearing a Georgia Bulldog cap. I'm like, oh, Lord. You know, I'll pray for these people. (laughs) Craig down here, he didn't even listen to me preach last night. He went and watched Boise State. That's probably the reason they lost because, (laughs) anyhow, I better get spiritual before I lose this service here. Now, it's a privilege to be able to travel and talk about my favorite person, Jesus Christ. Come on. Isn't that a good job (laughs) that I get to do this for a living? I get to travel around and talk about God. It's, it's, It's amazing. And I get to do it with this beautiful le- young lady right here, Chantel. Can you stand up, babe? This is my beautiful wife. <laughs> we had a long night of Holy Ghost party at church last night at Riverhouse Church. How many of you familiar with Riverhouse? <laughs> They're amazing. So we didn't get to sleep till about 1 o'clock this morning. I mean, it was, it was fun. And, and, and so I just want to encourage you to posture your heart this morning because pastor gave me a strong stop at 12 o'clock. He says, now we're very strict on time here and you have to stop at lunchtime. And then he said, because our main goal is getting to the restaurant before the next church does. (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Your pastor is amazing. And so let's go to the Lord in prayer. We'll get started. Father, we just invite you to come and just rest in here with your power with your glory. Father, I just ask that there will be a divine deposit into this church, Lord, into this region, into this city, Father God. Lord, I ask that today will be one of those kairos moments for us, Lord, that we can look back 10 and 15 and 20 years from now and say, in this Sunday, I encountered God. So family, I want you to posture your heart in faith to receive the Word of the Lord and to expect God to move in powerful ways in Jesus mighty name. Amen. You know when I was watching the worship service take place and 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 One of the pastors came up and said, let's begin to pray for people. And I just loved seeing this. It's beautiful to see the family of God bless the family of God. And one of the things we have to realize in the body of Christ is that we're all called to do the ministry of Christ. The fivefold ministry is not about the man of God being paid to do the work of the ministry. My job as a minister is to equip and to empower you to do the work of the ministry. Well, at the same time, I'm also a saint like you are. So I'm a minister, but I'm also a believer. So that means I don't disconnect myself from the work of the ministry. One of the things the Lord has been—is it okay about coming down here, Pastor? I like to get you in baptism range, you know, because I may get a little Pentecostal, you know. Anyway, you'll find out. One of the things the Lord has been really speaking to me about over the past couple of years is what I would call the spirit-filled vocation. Now, what I mean by vocation is kind of like a calling, a mission. We talk a lot about being spirit-filled in relation to the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but we don't talk a lot about being filled with the Spirit in relation to the mission of the Spirit throughout our life, what that looks like. And over the past two years, the Lord has kept bringing me back to this one particular passage of Scripture. And if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me now to John chapter 16. John chapter 16. Now, before I forget again, I would like to mention I do have some product out there. Um, After the service, there will be some people out there manning the table. So if you would like to go check out what we have, uh, I encourage you to do that. In John chapter 16, let me set this stage here for this. Can you turn me down just a little bit with the microphone? Because I may get Pentecostal in just a moment. And I want these people to be able to hear when they go home. Thank you. In this particular passage, Jesus is coming to his disciples and he is preparing his disciples for his departure. In other words, he's about to go to the cross, he's about to atone for the sins of the world, and be raised from the dead. And he begins to talk to them about his departure. And while he's talking to them, he's preparing them for something that's going to take place that they need to be in expectation for. And I want you to pay attention to the verbiage that he used, and I want you to pay attention to the mission of the Spirit that he communicates to the disciples. In John chapter 16, verse 5, it says this, But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth. That means you need to pay attention. It is to your advantage. Whose advantage is it? Our advantage. That I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to who? Us. Isn't that an interesting statement? Jesus, I want you to picture this with me. Jesus is walking with the disciples in his flesh. The disciples can touch Jesus. They can get up in the morning and go hang out at Jesus' house, right? Wouldn't it be fun to go to Jesus' church? This is Jesus' church, but you understand what I'm saying. Jesus' church. Wouldn't it be amazing To just hang out with Jesus walking in the flesh, I mean, you can touch him, you can talk to him, you can hang out with him. This is the context of this passage, but yet Jesus in the flesh speaks to the disciples and says, it's better that I leave. That is mind-boggling to me. He is literally saying, it is better that I go so that a helper can come to you. What he's actually referring to, and all of us understand this, is is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit because the major distinction between the old covenant and the new covenant is the indwelling of God's Spirit. And so what Jesus is actually telling the disciples, he's saying this right here. I know you're having fun with me. I know that that you're mourning because I'm telling you I'm about to leave. But there's coming a time where I'm not just going to walk with you. I'm going to actually live in you. Man, if that doesn't get you excited, your wood is wet, my friend. What I'm trying to get you to understand that you and I right now live in a greater reality than the disciples did when they walked with Jesus in the flesh. Because you and I actually live in the time frame in which Jesus said the Spirit of God, my spirit, the Spirit of Christ is going to come to abide inside every born-again believer. Wow. Man, if I had hair on my head, it'd be standing up right now. I can just feel the Holy Ghost. Whatever I'm trying to tell you, I'm trying to tell you this. God lives inside of you. If you are a born-again believer, you have God abiding on the inside of you. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17 says, The one that has joined himself to the Lord has become one spirit with the Lord. woo Do you want to know what your born-again experience really is? It is your spirit and God's spirit being joined together in total and complete union. That is a present, current reality on the inside of you right now. Man, that word one means singular to the exclusion of another. Another. That means when you gave your life to Jesus and Jesus came to live on the inside of you, you became one with God. There's never a moment of separation that you have with God. That's why he says in Hebrews 13 verse 5 that he will never leave you nor forsake you. So we should stop praying prayers that contradicts the reality of the union of the spirit. And so we should no longer pray prayers like, God, go be with me. Well, where else is he going to be other than with you? If he lives on the inside of you, why do you have to constantly ask him to go with you? He lives inside of you. Are you guys awake or are you sleeping? There's some coffee out there. I saw a good coffee uh, cafe out there. I'm literally trying to tell you that your spirit and God's spirit is joined in union with each other. So not only are you in union... I want you to consider this. First John chapter 4, verse 17 says, And as God is, so also are you in this world. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. Have you thought about this? This passage of scripture like this blows my mind. The Bible literally says, As God is, so also are we in this world. That means your spirit right now is identical identical to Jesus. Why do you think Ephesians chapter 4 verse 24 says, put on the new self made in true righteousness and true holiness. Well, who is that true righteousness and true holiness? Jesus. Who is your spirit joined with? Jesus. So what does that mean? Your spirit is as Jesus is. Every time I make statements like that, some religious person gets, oh, how dare you say something like that? Well, I didn't say it. The Bible did. God said it. I'm just telling you what the Bible says, so don't get mad at me. Get mad at Jesus. He's the one that says, I live inside of you. He's the one that says, I brought union in your life. He's the one that says, you're righteous and holy because I abide on the inside of you. He is the one that said in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, that I'll become sin so that you can become righteous. Do you know what's insulting to Jesus? Settling for a life that's inferior to the one he died for. That's what's insulting to the cross. That's what's insulting to the Spirit of God that abides on the inside of you. If you you accepted the fact that you were born a sinner, then you need to accept the fact that you're reborn righteous. Romans chapter 5, verse 19. Can you tell I like the Bible? Romans chapter 5, verse 19 says, Through one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Right? That's Adam speaking to Adam. The latter part of that verse says this, but through one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous, referring to Christ. So, So let me ask you, do you have more faith in the fall of Adam or in the resurrection of Christ? If you accept the fact that you were born a sinner, then you must accept the fact that when you're reborn, you're reborn righteous. That means now you no longer carry a sin nature. Now you carry the nature of Christ. So why do I still struggle with sin? Because you have an unrenewed mind. What the old sin nature left behind was memories, patterns of thought, emotions, and so now the Bible says you need to renew that mind, what you're renewing it to, according to your new nature. So you're not fighting against an old man. You, Lord, you're not fighting. You don't, you're not bipolar. God didn't make you bipolar. You're not fighting against an old man. You're fighting against an unrenewed mind. Romans chapter 6 makes it very clear that that old dude is dead. That old man is dead. So what I'm trying to tell you is that in your spirit right now, you're not a cleaned-up version of who you used to be. The Bible says you're literally a new creation. The Bible literally says old things have passed away. All things have been made new. So now it's illegal for you to form belief systems that connect you to your history because you've been redeemed from that. Why do you think when the devil speaks to you, he's always speaking to you from your past? Because he wants your history to be the prophetic voice of your destiny. He wants you to create cycles in your life and patterns in your life of sin and defeat. But when God speaks to us you, from your future calling you to your future. So not only do you need a revelation of what you've been delivered from, you need a revelation of who you've been redeemed to. <laughs> Man, this is good stuff right here. I'm telling you, this is some good preaching, brother. And I love Jesus. I I, I get excited. I get to wake up. I get to talk about God. I get to walk with Jesus every day. He lives inside of me. never leaves me nor forsakes me. He says in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 that I have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Where do you think that reality is? It is in your spirit right now. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 6 says you're already seated with him in the heavenly places. Where do you think that is? In your spirit right now. So why do we keep looking up the sky to find God? And your pr- people say, Man, well, my prayers is are getting past the ceiling. It doesn't need to get past you because God abides on the inside of you. Heaven dwells on the inside of you. His kingdom is there. His blessings are there. His healing is there. His holiness is there. His righteousness is there. <laughs> well, 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 don't we need to open up the heavens? You're already seated with Christ in heaven. So why do I need to open up where I already am? Well, what about Daniel in Daniel chapter 10 where well, his prayers were held up for 21 days? Well, what about Jesus in Colossians chapter 2 when he disarmed and defeated all the powers and principalities and came and live inside of you? <laughs> and this is some good stuff. I am literally telling you that God lives inside of you. He loves you so much he's willing to live inside of you as a captive. Let me say it a different way. He loves you so much, he's willing to hold himself captive inside of you until you learn how to yield to him. Because the most beautiful gift that he is giving you is your will. The reason he gave you a will is because he doesn't want slaves, he wants sons. In other words, he wants you to serve him out of your own desire to serve him. He wants you to to be obedient to him out of your own desire to be obedient to him. And so therefore, he's willing to hold himself captive inside of you until you learn how to yield to who he is inside of you. And so actually, you look as much like Jesus in the natural as you will to. What do you mean, William? I'm just—I'm I'm forcing Jesus. No, that's, I'm not. What I'm talking about, Jesus ad- demonstrated what yielding your will look, looks like. He says, "I didn't come to do my will, but the will of the one who sent me." So, so it looks like submission, right? That's what it is. To the degree that you submit your will, is to the degree that His will be demonstrated through your life. The way that God has designed his kingdom is that he wants to flow through his people to impact society. And so in many ways, God has chosen, he has chosen to limit his power according to your cooperation. Am I losing you? You guys are thinking now. Well, what do you mean? I thought God God was all sovereign. He is all sovereign, but he has proven throughout church history and he has proven throughout the Bible that his primary way that he works on earth is through his holy, righteous, covenant people. Can God do it without you? Absolutely he can. He's God. He doesn't really need your help. But yet, he desires to use you. You are the primary response to the world's problems. Christ in you. What if you're not waiting on revival? What if revival is waiting on you? Man, this is the context. This is what Jesus is setting these disciples up. He's saying, Listen, it's to your advantage that I go away. And pro- tr- I promise you, when He comes, when my spirit comes to live inside of you, you're going to be extremely happy that, that I left in the flesh. You're going to be extremely excited that, that now you're empowered the way that I'm empowered. And so now you could do the things that I do, and even greater, because that's what Jesus is telling the disciples. You're going to be so excited when I come to abide on the inside of you. It's going to make sense. You're mourning now, but it's going to make total sense later. Woo. This is what Jesus is saying. Well, You're like, really? He said all that? It's amazing. Why do you think Romans chapter 8 says if God is for you, who can be against you? The God that abides within has redefined the purpose of that the Goliaths in your life exist. In other words, they do not reveal the size of your problem but the level of your promise. What I mean by that is when David was coming up against Goliath, he understood that Goliath was just the enemy masquerading as someone powerful because he, he compared Goliath to the God that he served. Now God lives inside of you. So that means the Goliaths in your life are actually not stumbling stones, but, uh, but stepping stones. And so when young King David went up against Goliath, he, he destroyed him. Why? He says, man, who is this Philistine coming up against the God of Israel? he understood that Goliath in comparison to God was no Goliath. I'm telling you, God lives inside of you. I'm saying this right here. Satan, the major Goliath in your life, is victim to your victory. Man, that's why I'm not afraid of the devil. The devil's afraid of me. Man, what if you're actually here to torment the devil instead of the devil tormenting you? But yeah, we got, we have Christians get all afraid. Say, oh, don't touch me, I may get your devil. What about they get your Jesus? You know what 1 John chapter 5, verse 18 says? It says, the one that's been born of God, God keeps him, and the devil does and the evil one does not touch him. So go ahead and lay hands on me and get delivered of your demons. I just, I, I focus on my union with Christ. I focus on the God that lives within. I don't have to search to find him. I don't have to beg and plead with him to show up. I don't have to, I don't have to perform for him to, or to show up in my life, to be in my life. He is already in my life. He already abides on the inside of me. He's working for me. In a sense, working through me. I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says, while you were yet a sinner... Christ died for you. In other words, while you were at your most unlovable state, while you were an enemy, God died for for you. But verse 9 starts off and says this. How much more now, if God loved you so much when you were an enemy that he would die for you, how much more now that you're a son, will he work in your life, will he move in your life, will he show his love towards you? I just don't know if God loves me. I just want to slap the stupid off people sometimes and say, look at the cross of Jesus Christ. He thinks you are to die for. Is it lunchtime yet? Oh, man. I'm not a Sunday morning preacher. I'm a Saturday night preacher. (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Isn't this good news? Man, we need to start waking up to this news station, the gospel. Do you know the major false prophet in the land today? The media. But yet most people spend thousands of dollars every year to pump that false prophet into their home. And they sit mesmerized by it and wonder why their worldview is all messed up. Wonder why they walk in anxiety and fear and depression. I don't have false prophets in my house. I don't wake up to bad news because I wake up to the good news of Jesus Christ. I wake up to God abiding on the inside of me. I wake up to the creator of the universe is victorious and triumphant in every enemy in my life. And so why in the world am I going to be afraid of the devil? And this is some good stuff. Why do you think James chapter 4 verse 7 says, submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he, see, you already know what the word says, but the level of your resistance is found in the level of your submission. So we're back to that again. God lives inside of me, but yet me experiencing the God that lives inside of me is contingent upon my submission to the God that lives inside of me. Any version of of Christianity that you have that leaves yourself as your own God is an antichrist gospel. When you gave your life to Jesus, he didn't just become your savior, he became your Lord. You actually said, I'm now giving up my right to represent myself. You guys okay? You're staring at me. And God loves you so much, he's willing to live inside of you. I wouldn't live inside of you. <laughs> you know <what> I'm saying? <laughs> like, he's willing to walk with you. <laughs> he's willing to walk with me. Some of the things I think about myself, woo. This is what Jesus is telling the disciples. It's to your advantage that I leave. Because when I leave, a helper... A helper is going to come to you. Now, let's continue in this. But if I go, I will send him to you, and and he, when he comes, listen to this, will convict the church. Is that what John 16 says in this context? doesn't say the church, does it? Does he convict the church? Yes. But what is the mission of the Spirit through the church? To convict the world. So, the context is this right here. I'm pouring out my spirit inside of you, and he's going to help you, which means now you become a missionary. There's no such thing as a secret Christian. I came out of atheism. You know, the major reason that I was an atheist? I never met a Christian, or at least one that blew their cover. But the Bible says the spirit comes to live inside of you for you to become a missionary. Because now the mission is I'm going to convict the world. That the spirit through you is going to convict the world. (laughs) So that means the world is your mission field. Or hear me family. I believe about 50% of the darkness that's in the world is a sign of the times, but I believe the other 50% of the darkness in the world is a sign of the church not realizing her mission. When I disassociate myself from the world, I actually give Satan purpose in the world. And when I fail to shine my light into darkness, I actually reinforce darkness and I give darkness purpose. Satan finds his identity in the absence of your sonship. And so when you hide yourself, when you hide your light, and you, you, you keep God inside of you and only for you, and you keep yourself in your house, and you keep yourself in your home and disconnect yourself from the world, you as a delegated authority authorize Satan to exist. you really thinking now, aren't you? Why do you think in Matthew chapter 4, one of the temptations that Satan came against Jesus with, he says, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. If you are, command. What was Satan trying to do? He was trying to get the identity of Jesus to come under the influence of his voice so that he can usurp the authority of his. If Satan could cause your identity to come under his influence, then he takes, listen, he usurps the authority of your voice to authorize his purpose in your life. Boy, it's mighty quiet in this charismatic church. And this is why it's so important for us to realize the mission of the Spirit. This is why it's so important for us to realize the victory that we have in Christ. This is why it's so important for us to yield to the Holy Spirit inside of us because we have a foe, we have an enemy that's coming against us and he's trying to usurp the authority of our voice to authorize his purpose because he wants to disarm and defeat you. But listen, family, if you don't have this truth, the major weapon Satan has against your life is ignorance. The greatest enemy to your destiny is not the devil, your own ignorance of the Christ that lives within. Why do you think Hosea chapter 4 verse 6 says, my people perish for lack of? Ignorance is the seedbed that deception grows in. So my, my, the places of ignorance in my heart, what I mean, lack of understanding It actually gives Satan's voice a place to land in my heart. This is why I fill myself up with truth every single day. I don't get up and try to find every lie I've ever believed about myself. No, I I embrace truth and by default lies are destroyed. Because the Bible says, John chapter 8 verse 32, that you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. It doesn't say, and you shall identify all the lies in your life and that lie shall set you free. No, it says, you shall know the truth. So if it's the truth you know that sets you free, then it's the truth you don't know that keeps you bound. Man, when I started getting myself and renewing my mind, bringing my will under submission to the government of the Spirit, the Spirit of God that abides inside me, a lot of my sin issues began to fall off. Now, there's nobody on this planet walking in this perfectly, so don't misunderstand me because the Bible also says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, that if anyone confesses that they are without sin, they're a liar and the truth isn't even in them. So don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. Nobody's going to fully walk in the reality of this until the return of Christ and we put on our new body, the immortal body, right, where the spirit and body's in complete and total union with us. But right now, you can, way, uh, you can live that way according to the renewing of your mind or to the degree that your mind is renewed. So there's no limit to what you can have now. And so Jesus is telling his disciples right here, and when he comes, he's going to convict the world. Through your life, you're going to convict the world. You notice it didn't say judge and condemn the world. Uh, What the church has done for many years is we've tried to judge the world instead of convict the world. You see, judgment and condemnation tells you who you're not. Conviction tells you who you are. Conviction comes against you and doesn't beat you over the head so you dirty, rotten scoundrel. Instead of you looking at, looking at yourselves and thinking how sorry you are, you should just look at God and say, thank you, God, for loving someone as sorry as I am. You see, you see, conviction connects you to who you are, and who you are is you're like Jesus in your spirit. Who you are is a new creation. Who you are is a child of God. Who you are is born to be like God and to walk like God and to go like God. You're born to be an exact representation of who he is. That's why you're made and formed in his image, so that when people look at you, they see a chip off the old block. When people look at you, they see, there's my Father in heaven shining through that sun. <laughs> And so the Spirit of God through you is going to convict the church of their real identity. So that means I don't need to look at the world as dirty, rotten sinners. I need to look at them as brothers and sisters that need redemption. What religious people do is they think their holiness is found in their separation from the world instead of their union with Christ. And so what religious people say, don't go in that neighborhood there. But who did Jesus hang out with? All right. He goes on to say this: and when he comes, he will convict the world. Now, gives three things concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now, thankfully for us, the church has, let me say it this way, the church has greatly mishandled these three things, but thankfully for us, the Bible interprets the Bible. Truth interprets truth. Most people will get right here and they read that and they're like, I don't want to hear any more of this. You need to keep reading because now the Bible defines these three terms. And it says, sin, because they, speaking of the world, do not believe in me. So what is the singular sin that the Holy Spirit through your life is to convict the world of? The sin of unbelief. Why is it the sin of unbelief? All other sin is a byproduct of this one chief sin, unbelief. Namely, that people need to put their faith in Christ as their Savior. If there's only one sin that the blood of Christ did not atone for, that is your rejection of that sacrifice. And so the Spirit of God through you is to convict the world of the sin of unbelief. Turn people's affection to Christ. Turn people's faith to Christ to realize, I've been born and made in the image of God, and I need to put my faith in him as my Savior, as my Redeemer. In other words, when was the last time someone was convicted of their unbelief when they were around you? In many ways, the church looks like the world, talks like the world, acts like the world. We have the same problems, the same sicknesses, the same fears, the same depression, the same anxiety. You see, God, let me say it this way. The world determines your God based on your representation of him. And so if you reveal to the world that God is dead, then why do they want your Jesus? If you as a Christian have the same issues that everybody else has, then what kind of witness is that being to the resurrected Christ that abides within? Am I saying that things won't come in your life and come up? Listen, don't misunderstand what I am saying. But what I am telling you is this right here: You don't have to walk in the same fear and the same unbelief and the same anxiety as everybody else does. You have God living on the inside of you, the same resurrection power to give life to your mortal bodies. Romans chapter eight verse eleven says the same Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you to give life to your mortal body. Man, this is a revelation I've been living in, and because of that, I haven't been sick in sixteen years. I don't get sick. You can't make me get sick. (laughs) Most people get sick like they caught a football, like I threw a football at them. They just catch it. Don't catch it. (laughs) (laughs) Someone says, William, you going to take the vaccine? I said, man, I've already taken the God's pill. I don't think I need anything else. (laughs) Now, I don't have anything against the vaccine. I just don't get sick. You hear me? I'm not saying God doesn't use the medical field. But I, well, what I'm saying, I just don't get sick, so I'm not going to take. I'm not going to add to something. When I, I don't. It's not an issue. I don't get sick. I don't get sick by faith like most people do. Flu season comes around. You go to CVS, pharma. You buy all the medication you need to get sick. So you plan to get sick. And so then flu season comes around. And guess what? You get sick because you got sick by faith. What I'm trying to tell you is that the God that lives within, now you don't have to accept just the natural, physical things that the world has because they don't have the Spirit of God abiding on the inside of them. But you do. That gives life to your mortal body. And and the Spirit inside of you doesn't have sickness. The Spirit inside of you is righteous and holy. The Spirit inside of you is, is God's Spirit abiding there. He doesn't have diabetes. He doesn't have a drug problem. Man, we come up with all kinds of reasons to live defeated. Now, it was because my great-granddaddy was an alcoholic, so he just passed through the generational lines. So, for I can't help it. Man, that's a bunch of bull. <laughs> when you join yourself to God, now you have a new bloodline. It's the bloodline of Jesus Christ. And now, the bloodline <laughs> of the Heavenly Father... But you can have a generational curse if you want to. You can believe in it and have faith, get it by faith, and just walk in it by faith. Be all defeated by faith. I'm not trying to mess up some of your ministries, but I'm just trying to tell you what the Bible says here. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? What I'm saying is that the Spirit of God through you is to convict the world of unbelief. That means when an unbeliever gets around you, they are convicted of the fact that they don't believe in Jesus. I picked this guy up the road one time. He was broke down, and, and, you know, southern hospitality is a real thing, you know. And so I just picked this guy up just to help him out. I wasn't trying to minister to him or anything, but I'm a Christian. I'm a son. And so this guy gets in the car with me. We get like two miles down the road. He starts weeping. I'm talking about snot coming out, you know. And he's just weeping uncontrollably for no reason. And we finally get to where we're going, and he looks over at me. He says, man, who are you? Like that. I'm like, what do you mean, who am I? He says, man, as soon as I got in the car with you, this overwhelming love came over me. He says, who are you? I says, well, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. He says, you're kidding. He says, I'm an atheist. He says, I don't even believe in God. He says, but I cannot deny what I feel. I said, do you want to receive Christ? He said, absolutely. And I preached the gospel to him right there. In my car, we're crying. He gets saved right there. See, he got saved because he got in the car with a believer. When an unbeliever hangs around you, do you reinforce their unbelief? When they come to you and start complaining about the aches and pains in their body, you're like, yeah, yeah, I know what you mean, brother. I get up like that every single day. Man, you know what I do? Instead of cursing my body like most of us do, I bless my body. I get up and say, man, this body's been purchased by the blood of Christ. This is a temple of God, First Corinthians 3.16. This body is immune to sin. It's immune to sickness. It's immune to disease. It's immune to the devil. And the devil can't lay his hands on this temple because it's a temple of God. And so, therefore, it is going to walk like a temple of God. It's going to praise Jesus. It's going to acknowledge Jesus. It's going to be thankful for Jesus. I bless myself. I have a pain that comes in my body. I don't use my voice to reinforce that pain. I use my voice to tell that pain to leave. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 17 says the word of God is the sword of the spirit, which means it's your weapon of warfare. But if you don't have the word inside of you, you don't have a weapon to use when the things come against you. It's like trying to fight the devil with no sword. He has a sword. That sword is that pain he's trying to project. On you. That sword is that disease or that whatever. Man, the spirit of God is inside of you to convict the world of unbelief. Man, when an unbeliever gets around me, they're going to get a good dose of some faith. They're going to get a good dose of Jesus. And it's not going to be in judgment and condemnation. I'm not going to beat them over the head and say, you're dirt, dirty, rotten right sinner. I'm not going to get on a box and tell everybody they're going to go into hell that walks by. Romans chapter 2 says, it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. But what I am saying is I'm going to live my life in such a way that the Spirit is going to live his life in such a way through me that when people get around me, they are convicted. They are Wow. Why don't you freak out in situations like this? Why are you always in joy and peace? Who says you have to be depressed? I go in some churches and... It's the pastor, you know... I mean, I've been in some churches that were so dead, if someone really did die, you have to haul out half the church to find the dead person. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Man, we are to convict the world. I have seven minutes. Oh no. We are to convict the world of unbelief. You are an ambassador of God, said Corinthians chapter 5. You're a representation of Christ. You are a leader. If you're a Christian, you are a leader. I, I listen, I'm constantly living this awareness that eyes are on me every day. So I'll pay attention to what I say, how I live. One of the greatest revivals that has ever lived, that has ever happened in this country was in Brownsville, uh, uh, Florida. And I had a pastor that went there for three years, and and he had this thought, I'm going to start going to restaurants outside of the conference, outside of the revival, and ask the waiters what they think of the revival. And when he started doing that, he was startled at the response he was getting. And the waiters, most of them said this, we hate the revival. The Christians that come in here, they're boastful, they're arrogant, and they don't tip. I'm not speaking against Brownsville Revival, but what I am saying is that we've created a culture in the church where we only celebrate God in church. Yeah. And so, therefore, we, ha- we are proclaimed God by doctrine, but walk with Satan by principle. I'm not trying to judge you and condemn you. I'm just, you know, let me sucker punch you a little bit. But this is what it means. That the Spirit of God is coming to abide inside of you, and he, that Spirit has a mission, and that mission is to convict the world. That mission is to get the unbeliever convicted at the person you put your faith in. I worked at this job one time, and it was a very negative environment, but I don't complain. You know what complaining is? It's the worship music of hell. Complaining sends a signal out to all the demons in your region. says, hey, come over to my house. I'm going to worship you. That's what complaining does. You enter God's, God's gates through thanksgiving. You enter Satan's gates through complaining. Have I preached out my, okay, there it is. And so I worked at this job that's very negative, but I've made a commitment. I am not going to use my voice to celebrate and worship Satan. So therefore, I'm not going to use my voice to engage in an atmosphere that's contrary to the king that abides within. And so I started working at this job. People come beside me. They start trying to complain and stuff. And I either make it so awkward for you, you just shut up, right, or you get convicted of what you're talking about, you repent. One of the two. And so people, person after person, would come beside me at this job. And and one by one, they would kind of get dwindled off. But the area that I was working was gradually becoming the most productive area in the business. After six months, that place that I was working was the most productive one in the entire business at that place. And one day, this man comes up to me. He had been working beside me. And I, I wasn't there preaching or anything. I'm just being a son. Changing my atmosphere, releasing the spirit of God through me, the renewal of your mind is the release of the spirit. What you believe actually quenches the spirit or releases the flow of the spirit. And so this guy comes up to me, he says, William, he says, I've been working beside you now for six months. You're the only one here that smiles. You're the only one here that wants to work. You're the only one here that doesn't complain. He says, some days I just want to slap the spit out your mouth. But he says, but I go home every night and I just ask, why is William so happy? And he asked me, he says, why are you so happy? And I said, because of Christ. He lives inside of me. And as soon as I connected my demeanor, my actions, my words to Jesus, he fell down at this job on his knees and started crying and said, I need to have Jesus in my life. You know? I want you guys to hear my heart. I'm not trying to spank you. I'm just trying to say we can do better than what we've been doing if God lives inside of me, man. And what am I doing with my life if I'm not surrendering and submitting him? Because there's people out there dying at my complacency. And it goes on to say this. It says concerning righteousness. You notice it didn't say concerning unrighteousness. It says concerning righteousness. Because I go to the Father, you no longer see me. What was Jesus demonstrated when he was walking in the earth? A son in right standing with the Father And lives righteously before man. And so the Holy Spirit through your life is to convict the world of what true righteousness is. This is how you walk in right standing before God. And this is what living rightly before the world is. Huh. So the Holy Spirit isn't moving through your life, judging and condemning the world because of their unrighteousness. It's actually convicting the world that the way of righteousness is the way of Jesus. And if you want to see those things in your society brought into justice, then you need to follow the way of Jesus. But if the enemy, if the world, listen, if the enemy through the world can get you to react. Let me say it this way, this way. If the enemy through the world can get you to reciprocate what the world comes against you with, you're not demonstrating the righteousness of God. In other words, if if you fight accusation with accusation, the only thing that wins is accusation. If you fight evil with evil, the only thing thing that wins is evil. The reason the, the enemy comes against you in this way, because he wants you to reciprocate his purpose and actually reinforce it. But the Holy Spirit through you is to convict the world of righteousness and what right right living looks like. And it doesn't look like cursing those that speak against me. It doesn't look like gossiping about my church at the restaurant. It doesn't look like gossiping about my neighbor. It doesn't look like all those things that is witchcraft. It looks like Matthew chapter 5, bless those that curse you, pray for those that spitefully use you. Well, it's not just some nice Christian thing to do. It's an actual act of spiritual warfare against the enemy. I really understood this, how powerful this truth is well, in 2012 when my brother was murdered by a drug dealer. I still have a pain in my heart from that. But I knew the Bible had set me free. I knew God lived inside of me because I had zero amount of hatred in my heart toward the person that murdered my brother. And it would have been more of an evil act of me to raise up and judge that person in hell for what they did. Because the same God that died for me is the same God that died for them. And they didn't realize what they were doing. You have to understand there are other factors involved and there's spiritual warfare involved, there's spirits involved, and people may not be doing what you, well, acting out of who they are, but out of who that spirit is on the inside of me. So you know what I started doing to the person that murdered my brother? I started praying for their salvation. You see, you're to convict the world of righteousness and what living rightly looks like. This is the function, the mission of the spirit through your life is to convict the world of righteousness right standing. It would have been more of an act of Satan on my part to condemn that person to hell because I've been illumined by the light and they haven't. And he goes on to say this concerning judgment but pay attention to who the Judgment is aimed at because the ruler of this world has been judged. What does the Bible say the ruler of the world is? Satan. In other words, the spirit of God through you is to convict the world of who the real enemy is. And it's not your neighbor. It's not people. Ephesians chapter 6 says, we do not fight against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities in the heavenly realm. And so the Spirit of God, his mission through your life is to convict the world of who the real enemy is and then show the world who the real enemy is and that he has already been judged by God the Father through you. And you exercise that judgment by destroying his works. You hear me, family? Satan has already been judged. That means everything that he does is illegal. It's illegal. You don't have to ask God, can Satan do this? He says, no, I've already defeated him by the cross, and I've empowered you by my spirit to go and destroy his works. So no, he can't do that. You're to exercise that judgment over his works. Man, when I see a demon, or see a devil, when I see evil, I I, I do something about it. I'm not going to sit around and just wonder, I just wonder if God's allowing Because we keep using Job as a model and not realizing Jesus became an answer to Job's problem. (laughs) You hear me? And so the Spirit of God through you is to convict the world that Satan is under the judgment of God, that his works are illegal. And that you do not have to tolerate being bound, being beat up, being oppressed, being depressed, you don't have to live in that type of condition anymore. And I have come now as a liberator from that of that. That's the mission of the Spirit through your life, but it's contingent upon the yieldness of your will, because He's not going to force you to follow him because that would be slavery and not sonship. He's not even going to force you to love him because forced intimacy is rape. And so he's willing to live inside of you and hold himself, restrain himself, constantly speaking to you, constantly wooing your heart to yield. Not by judgment and condemnation, but by his kindness, his love, his mercy, his grace. You will never experience true freedom until you yield your will. And all of a sudden you realize your created purpose, destiny, and value. And you realize you are never living the true self the whole time. You will never discover the true you until you yield to the God creator that made you. Jesus is the mirror that you look at to see the reflection of yourself. And when I look in the mirror, I don't just see William Wood, I see Jesus. <laughs> I see a son right standing with a father that has total access to his kingdom. I see a son that, that the holy of holies abides on the inside of him. I, I, I see a son that's in such right standing that there's no separation between him and the heavenly father, that he is at total, complete peace with God. There's no hostility between your relationship with God. All right. What I want to do right now is I want to do a soft close. And if you need to leave, just feel free at any point at this time to to make your way. If you need to get your children from the children's church.